in a way, you can say that this episode is much like getting the gang back together. The same way that the Starks are going to have to get back together after the Battle of Winterfell last night. Spoiler warnings. You there's, not, not, there's not really a spoiler there. You're still a Also, a lot of people have been like, because of the whole Endgame stuff, where they're all like, oh, you can't, you, like, spoiler for all the people on Twitter. No, if it's a live television show that everybody can watch, I'm sorry. Stay off social media. Everyone has HBO. Then. Okay, then you're not watching Game of Thrones. What if you watch it like you go to the local library when it then goes you're out a criminal on the DVD? And then you shouldn't be. The local library makes you a criminal? Yes, it does, because you're stealing somebody else's login. Yeah, you just didn't think weave, of that one, did you? You All just right? weave a web of lies. That's well, all you do. That, that's what happens when there are criminals out there, and we don't it's support a fat criminal spider behavior. Spider in its web, drinking fly juice, weaving webs of lies. That's all mm. you are. Anyway, for what I was. Beth talking is about, back, everyone. Yeah, uh, you know what? And you just take. All you the were doing a bad job. I wanted to get to the fun part. You at no point has even one of my introductions pleased you. That's true. Well, that was Beth, ladies and gentlemen. She has returned. The chosen one, and we're here the in your champion. ear. That's what I call that. For the flagship show, um, it is April 29th, and we are Lord. still slightly hungover. The year of our Lord is 2019. We are slightly hungover from uh, all the caco stuff, and still very happy, but there has to be other stuff to talk about at this point, but there kind of isn't. Uh, Michael, Beth, how are you two doing today? I think I'm okay. I've clearly forgotten how to just talk over you when you start rambling along. So well, it's a gift. Come. It'll you come just gotta learn that, Beth. It's like a it's a, it's a muscle memory thing. You just learn to ignore him generally and know that you'll you'll say things that are better for the show. It's in the muscle. It's in the memory of the muscle. Muscle um, mind memory. So, Mike, you you kind of had the reins on this one. What are we starting with? I thought it would be fun. Because I remember talking a lot this year to Beth about David Quinn. Not just, just so much. Not just because he looks like, uh, I don't know, like Clark Kent that spent a couple days too many in the desert and or Benedict Cumberbatch's stunt double, but also because he was kind of a, kind of a puzzle in terms of his first year. We all knew we had to give him a lot of leash, but I feel like now... You know, we're, we're entering into the second round of the playoffs, and we'll get to the, the playoffs uh, in a bit. But I wanted to get a, a kind of a feel for how we feel about David Quinn's first year. Because, um, you know, on Blue Shirt Banner, we're putting up our report cards, and I uh, recently finished uh, my report card for Jeff Gordon, and I realized that part of his evaluation had to do with how he worked with Quinn. And really, that kind of sets the stage for, well, you know, how did Quinn really do? Um because, again, we've just been all sucking on the sweet teat of, of that <laughs> second overall pick. I mean, that's the sweetest teat of all. So, But we also have to focus on the big picture. And part of that is, what will a coach like Quinn do with a guy like Capo Caco? Beth, start us off. Well, I was just thinking that sweet teat has to last us an awful long time, doesn't it? The sweet teat. We don't but have much The teat is only 18 on. years old, so <laughs> it's a young teat. That is a young teat. Well, speaking of young, my thoughts on Quinn are, I'm trying to figure out which dad he is, you know? (laughs) Is he the dad who lets the kids drink in the basement because then at least he knows where they are? Is he the dad who actually buys the booze? Is he the dad who pretends to be cool but then, like, totally narks you out to your parents when he catches you throwing up in the backyard? Like, 
he was a number of different kinds of dad this season. I mean, I think that I think the dad thing is is solid, but exactly like what kind of dad? I or feel like I'm still figuring out. Or is he the dad who actually out. drinks with the kids because he misses his day of playing varsity football? Like, we know he's not that dad. I don't think he's that dad, but I, I don't think he's that, that dad. That dad archetype also. I have to say though, I do I do like the dad analogy though because in a lot of and the first thought that came into my head when you said that was when. It was either Brendan Lemieux or uh, Tony D'Angelo got a penalty that they didn't think they deserved, and they were talking shit to the ref. Oh, it was, he was Lemieux. Telling them, he was telling them to shut up in the penalty box. Like, it's like such a father moment. It was Lemieux. Um, it was it was Lemieux. I knew it was one of them. He, uh, you know, he, he took on this sort of mentor um, persona for the New York Rangers this year, and you kind of saw him building that relationship with Buchnevich, and you saw him building that relationship with Tony D'Angelo and sort of letting the adults maybe be adults, if you will, when it comes to Kreider and Zibanejad and whatnot. And uh, we talked about this too, but like in November, I mean, we're talking, what, three months into the season, if you count the preseason, we heard about how the accountability in the room had completely changed and how happy everybody was with the level of coaching that they were getting that they did not get before and that Philadelphia will have for the foreseeable future. But I like that, Beth. So what kind of a dad do you think he is? Because I think he's the stern dad that then at the end of the night gives his kid a little kiss on the on the forehead because he loves him before he goes to sleep. But you definitely want to be you want to be the stern dad who then has the soft side. You don't want to be the dad who pretends to be like cool or easy going and then cracks the whip out of nowhere. So, yeah, I I do think he's the stern, you know nice shot of looking into the bedroom at the sleeping children at night and the you know the soft smile crosses his face because all is right with the world yeah you finish your homework tiger I'm proud of you. <laughs> pretty much exactly yeah does Heedle still have homework he probably uh, does Heedle has a like a girlfriend who 100% is still in high school so she still has homework and the first time that I so. heard that, I was like, oh, God, that's so creepy. And then I remembered that Hedl is actually like 18 yeah. years old himself. <laughs> he's so, allowed to have uh, a girlfriend. Yeah, he's 100% allowed to have a high school level girlfriend. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, Quinn was texting Gordon, apparently, and they discussed, you know, what it meant to get that second overall pick. And we're assuming that it's Kako. We've discussed this a bunch of times. It could certainly be Jack Hughes, um, although Hughes is absolutely like ridiculous just having a ridiculous tournament uh, in the U18s. And I think he's actually going to play with the men this summer as well now. He got the call up. He'll play with his brother, which is the only time that that will happen because Vancouver's not getting one of those picks. But I just, I'm I'm very curious about your thoughts, Beth. I know Hughes is like the sexy, he's been the first overall pick for the past like eight years, it seems. But Cat goes bigger. He's an ox. Um, plays a little bit more straightaway hockey. Certainly has a... Uh, more of a crash than net mentality and I think Mike and I are in agreement that he kind of fits Quinn's system better but do you like the idea of having a guy like Quinn for somebody like Kako or Hughes who is so important with like basically the future of the organization I mean that's the plan right is to you know somebody who's just going to be you know wrangling all the toddlers or whatever it's going to seem like. I'm just I'm just pondering now that you're saying this exactly how much more disappointing Hughes would be on the name front now that we've just all gotten so excited about Capo and Caco. 
and like really is one of the best hockey names I think out it there. It sounds like two different people to me. It's, it's it Kako really does. And, and then Kako. It's like Wacko, Yakko, and Dot from Animaniacs or something. <laughs> and then there are the days you, you you know you wake up in the morning and it's the first thing you think about, but then you're not quite sure which order it went in. Oh, that happens to me literally every day. It really does. That's, also that's... because it's K A A P O, but then it's K A K K, so it's like. Is there the one A or the... I don't know. I just... I know I love it. That's well, the name is spelt the way that it's spelt. Joe, you watch your mouth when you talk. You shouldn't have questions about Joe, the spelling Joe, all names of the are name, spelt the way that they're spelt. Considering they're spelt. <laughs> it's spelt the way that it's spelt. Except for, you know, like... Um, There's no guesswork involved. Pick... What is it? Pictograms? Beth, Beth would know this. It's like pictograms. <laughs> like Chinese characters and hieroglyphs. Somebody who just has a symbol on the back of their sweater? Yeah. Like the artist... Oh, probably how Prince. awesome would that be? Although, oh, Beth, we need did to bring you see when you Google Translate Capo's name, um, the Finnish translates to cake crap, which is my favorite thing in the world. Cake, cake crap? crap? Yeah, cake crap. Well, cake isn't cr- crap. Well, I didn't say it was, but that's what it translates to. I mean, to. it is compared to pie, though. So. Cake crap. Maybe it's its, its way or of telling it's either that or it's crap cake. I think crap, <laughs> cake. crap cake would be better than cake crap, I got yeah, news for you. Crap cake is like... Oh, do you mean crab cake? No, no, I don't. I mean crab cake. I mean, neither of them are great, if you really neither think about great. it. It seems if, a heck of a lot less cool now, all of a sudden. If if I yeah, but we're one, talking about the I Finnish crab translation. Crab. Forget that. We're, we're, we're the straight Finnish is Kako Capo, which is yeah. amazing. There's no... And then, exactly, the devils are going to take him, and then all this talk about Capo Kako is going to turn into, well, you know... Hughes is great. We wanted Hughes from the beginning, which in reality, I, and I can't, if it does happen, there's going to be so much finger pointing about, oh, look, the, we, all these people talked about how they only wanted Kako. Like, either would be fantastic. Both of them changed the Rangers in pretty drastic ways. We talked about Adam with that, where, you know, Hughes is a center. That puts a little bit more pressure on the Heatles of Banajad, Howden, Anderson situation. Um, Do we Kako's want more w- pressure on Leah Anderson? I think I want... Leah Anderson to get like a, a rocking horse and a warm blanket at this point. Yeah, but the problem is Anderson is going to have pressure on him regardless of what happens with this year's draft. Even if it is Kako, too much like, pressure already, man. It's brutal. Is it? I mean, he's supposed to be prepared for this type of pressure. It was part of the reason why the Rangers drafted him in the first place. Yeah, th- is that on him though? Or is that no? On but none of very Gordon few, Clark. very few of his failures are on him. And there are, are parallels here where. And I kind of didn't want to get into this because these people have dealt with enough. But Giants fans watched <laughs> the disaster that was that draft. And very old school thinking from David Gettleman of, um, you know, we drafted the right type of people with like fiber and maturity. And I was laughing because if you're if you're unaware, the New York Giants selected Daniel Jones at sixth overall um, uh, second quarterback off the board from Duke. Which you means know what? He's, he's from a good smart. basketball school, Joe. He's from a good basketball um, school. And, you know, the very first few things that he talked about was his maturity and his and I, I, I quote fiber. And when those are the things that you're talking about when it comes to a player and not their skill or like, hey, this is what this kid is going to be for us. And he did say he's a potential franchise or very solid, whatever it may be. That's a pretty serious problem. And yes, Michael, you've raised your hand. Well, to get us back on track, I think I like the idea of of Quinn with a player like Capo because watching him play, knowing he's played against men in the Liga, and knowing that he's also going to be playing with and against men at this year's Worlds, which start up actually in just a week and a half now. I mean, this month has flown by. Um, I mean, I guess that's what happens when your team's not in the playoffs. But uh, knowing that 
he's already really proven himself against men and, and how good he looks. I feel like the skill is just obvious. I feel like someone like Quinn is going to do a lot to get him confident in going hard to the net and doing those little things that I feel like a skilled player needs to do more. And, and it makes me, I don't, I think they're radically different players in many ways, but I felt like we started to see that pay dividends with how Quinn coached Buchnevich in particular. Like he found a way to speak, you know, a language that was common to both of them to make it clear what he wanted. And what we started to see was Buchnevich just looked more confident really with the puck in the offensive zone. And that just wasn't that just wasn't the guy we saw. You know what I mean? So um, I, I like that in principle, or at least in theory, in terms of Quinn matching up with Kako. I'm starting to wonder how, I mean, I think Quinn is great with the kids, but I mean, how many kids can you be great with at the same time? You know, when do you get to this sort of... That's just I mean, poor family planning, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's kind of what I'm talking about is hockey family planning, figuring out what everybody's role is, not only on their own, but doing that shuffling lines, you know, benching or, you know, Quinn bin when necessary. That just suddenly seems like a lot more moving parts than you'd have with an older team. So I guess that's Quinn's role so I guess that's what they're expecting but now it's just you know you're wondering when everybody is going to get their chance to shine do what they do get matched with the people who can best help them do what they do um yeah it'll be interesting to watch I mean yeah they played against men but I'm more interested to see what the sort of the lines are going to look like almost there's going to be a lot of experimenting I'm sure I would guess the hope is that some of the children that needed to be kind of led this year, if you will, like the D'Angelo's of the world and um, specifically D'Angelo and Buchnevich, because they kind of crossed through the other side, wouldn't need that treatment anymore, right? Like, okay, you're in the semi-adult club where Quinn can kind of take his eyes off of him when they're at the park and just assume that they're going to be where they say they're going to be. And then that sort of makes space for the Heedles and Howdens and, in this instance, Kravstoff and maybe Kako of the world. Um, the Rangers love players who play with men. It was one of the big things that drafted them or that drew them to draft Elias Anderson. It was one of the big things that drew them to draft Vitaly Kravstoff. They love these kids who kind of get this experience where they're a 17 year old playing a critical role for a professional team and Kako's production in Liga I mean it's blown comparisons out of the water especially from a goal standpoint and what I think a lot of people forget is that Barkov and Line who again his goals production I mean absolutely blew both of them out of the water Um, he did it with less talent much like Kravstov, like the team that, and they were on the same team, and I can't, I think it was Tappan and maybe um, Kravstov and Barkov, when they were in their respective Liga careers, they had much better talent surrounding them than Kako did. And I know that's something that endears the Rangers to him because they see him creating a lot of his own offense and being that guy. And the point that I was making before Mike jumped in was we've, you don't want to hear the first things that you talk about when you're drafting a prospect being their intangibles or their maturity or their polish, which is exactly what we heard with Dylan McElrath, at least when it came from like size and you know leadership and toughness, or Leah Sanderson when it came with, again, leadership and maybe less upside for the more polished aspect of things. Regardless of who the Rangers take it at two, assuming it is one of Hughes or Kako, um, 
you're not getting that. You're getting a, a franchise-altering prospect, and it's a it's a, a situation the Rangers have not been in since really what Brian Leach, I would say. I mean, I guess you can make an argument you're getting for Carter Cake, but, Joe. You're getting crap cake. Well, or Hughes at this point. I who knows. Um, but the point, it just it's it's such an exciting time, and I mean to Beth's point. Yeah, at some point the Rangers are going to have to grow up, right? And David Quinn isn't going to have to sit there and watch all these kids. And I would think he would tell you the hope is that he does not have to do that either because he gets through to them. And we did see the New York Rangers kind of come through the other side, especially at the end, where they clearly brought into this, bought into the system. They very clearly stepped up in situations where I think we've seen other New York Rangers teams wilt. And a lot of that belongs on Quinn's shoulders. There were things that were done, and we were talking about it before the show started with Stahl and, you know, Buchnevich sitting. And a lot of these things, some of them came out. The Buchnevich stuff, the D'Angelo stuff kind of did come out and have at least some form of a resolution where we figured out that, oh, in D'Angelo's case, it was, you know, maturity. And in the case of uh, Buchnevich, she was trying to get the effort thing in. And we saw the same thing with Hedl. But uh, I think that David Quinn has done a relatively good job with, A, getting the best out of his players. We saw Hayes, Kreider, and Zibanejad all have career years under David Quinn. And I'm including pre-injury Kreider before the Rangers forced him to play through injuries. Um, it was impressive. And I, I I was impressed with Quinn all in, all things being equal. I think there were some mistakes. I think the Neil Pionk thing was a disaster. I, I think the Stahl thing was a disaster. Some of his usage was still weird. The Jimmy VC stuff is strange. But it could have went a hell of a lot worse. And the Rangers could be the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. So, Michael, you seem like there's something you want to say. Yeah, giving, I feel like, considering the leash, like, it's bad parenting to play your kid hurt. I mean, we all know that. Do you blame that on Quinn, though? I don't know who to blame that on, truth be told. I think that's a that's a team culture thing. and that That's falls, a hockey culture thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that falls very much on how... It feels like the Rangers are so much more... But just expectations, like just, right? Or do we just see it more because it's the Rangers? Maybe, but I feel like that is part of hockey culture. Like Beth said, it's part oh, of that is like the the warrior mentality, right? Like you play through injuries, and of course in the playoffs, like your jaw could be hanging by a string, but you're going to go out there. But like that's just part of what's expected, even though it really shouldn't be accepted that that's the case. Like especially last season, as in 27-18, like Shattenkirk had his meniscus torn in September, like and then he played hurt and you know i just finished my report card from for banter and like every every other tweet i read is just why bother writing this and who cares or buy him out and you know meanwhile like i it's you can't hold <laughs> like getting a torn meniscus against a guy and then you can't hold everything that went kind of sideways for shattenkirk this season against him on the power play he wasn't good enough but otherwise he was a really effective defenseman and like that's a similar story with with Kreider is if we if if he didn't play for the rest of the season he got hurt and then he didn't force himself to play or he didn't feel that pressure to play maybe that's the better way to phrase it we would be singing the praises of the season we would say oh it would have been great if he stayed healthy but I think all of us would say I'm glad this team in a lost season didn't force this guy to play right Beth yeah, I, you mean, unmuted. I think I, so. I know Kreider is always top of mind. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about Eric Carlson when he was spinning around last night. 
I was wondering, he hasn't, did he, he didn't have any flare-ups of that leg problem or the foot problem or whatever it was this yeah, season, did he? Yeah, half an ankle. Yeah, just one half of an ankle. he's essentially the walking dead, though, that he's all sorts of banged up. He's just, but he's still a super effective player, but the general consensus or belief is that he's still just all sorts of messed up. And yeah. the problem is when you're in the playoffs, like, you, unless you sweep someone and you get a couple days to rest, like, you don't really get a chance to heal up and like when you're a guy like Carlson you're in a contract year and like Kreider is in a position where he's kind of competing to be the captain of this team and he's also com- like playing for his next contract as well and he was having a career year it looked like he was finally going to put up you know the numbers we all f- thought he was capable of and then he just disappears and then you know the media gets after him and and fans get after him and then it, it's revealed that he's playing really hurt and then it's like oh well Whose fault is that? That's but obviously if not on Chris Kreider. If you're Kreider's agent, how do you let him play? I mean, I seriously, That's because he just—he took head. such a hit. I mean, if Eric Carlson decided today I'm not playing anymore in the playoffs, I'm too hurt, he's still going to make eleven million dollars a year because he's Eric Carlson. He still would. He still Chris Kreider is not in that boat. So if he would have stopped when he got hurt and been on pace to have a career year, you're right, Mike. Everybody would have went, "Oh, what would happen if Kreider stayed healthy?" And so would general managers. Yeah, they but we'd still be celebrating what he accomplished. And but Jerry I'm not Anderson even. I'm, would say I'm, he's on pace for this. This is the sort of player he is. I'm yeah. beyond that. I'm talking about his next contract, where he hits open market and teams are like. Right now, it sounds like the Rangers are no longer interested in paying him hand over fist because, according to Brooks, they're concerned about like this, which again is is hysterical if true that the Rangers know he's hurt and they're like, well, you know, we're kind of concerned about uh, your your play right now at the end of the year. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for Kreider. I'm actually curious, um, Beth, since we haven't kind of broached this topic with you, what your thoughts are on it, because I think Mike and I are kind of in the see-what-you-can-get-for-him camp, and I know that he is your second-large adult son behind McElrath, so um, tell us your thoughts. Oh, he's he's moved a couple steps down. I mean, son is almost a good word for him just because of the erratic behavior in the past or the erratic production or the erratic approach or whatever we wanted to call it about his mood swings um and yeah this was the sort of get it together season the season that meant nothing um in the end weirdly except of course for him as you're talking about with his contract i don't know i mean he's such a fixture i can't imagine having oh god having stall be the only would Stahl then be the only 2014 guy? I think there's three. And Hank, obviously. It's, yes, yeah. so it's Stahl, Lundquist, and Kreider. Yeah, but only Stahl and Krides can wear the letter because you yeah. can't. And that's why this to me is just like... Uh, like the, it's I don't know. To have Stahl thing. be the last guy standing burns me up. But then again, that's, yeah. not, that's, not, that's not math. That's not hockey. That's just, you know... It's kind of expected also, just from knowing <laughs> just the situation. Like, Stahl would be the last man standing. I mean, wouldn't you like to see Kreider as the veteran on a young, successful team? And I don't know. It's 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 really hard to say. But, I mean, I do think, I don't think he's going to be around if they get, if they can I, get something I, good. It, see, it, the, Kreider's an interesting situation because, yeah. and Zuccarello sort of pushed us toward this 
over the course of the end of the season where it's somebody that you unequivocally love, right? Zuccarello is everything that was right about the New York Rangers, and um, I would have, like, given vital organs for Zuccarello if he needed them type love. And it's very interesting to – you do root for laundry, and you kind of learn that as you go and you get older and you see these players like – Lundqvist is a bad example because he'll likely be here for his career, but Zuccarello is really the the best example of, wow, that guy gave everything to the New York Rangers and they just couldn't do it with him. And part of me wants, like, yes, I'd love Kreider to be here. I'd love Kreider to still be a mentor to these kids and he's fantastic in the room and nobody has a bad thing to say about him. He plays the game the right way. But I also know that at the end of the day, the New York Rangers do not plan on contending next year. The New York Rangers plan on contending probably in two or three years. And yes, you need guys like Kreider to kind of shepherd the sheep, if you will. But does it have to be Kreider? I mean, if you could get Truba for Kreider, how do you not think about that? If you could dangle Kreider and see if you can't get another top 10 pick in the draft, you know, guys who you bring in to be veteran players who kind of lead the room and do all the things that you want, those guys can be found in the bargain bin every single August. You can, like McQuaid was an easy trade if the Rangers want to go that route. So do you need Kreider there? No. Do you want him there? Yes. But that's part of this discussion where it just comes down to, I love Kreider, but do I love him more than the future of the team? And listen, if there's no offers out there, and if the market is as soft for Kreider as it was for Zuccarello, then yeah, you don't, maybe you don't do anything, and you just re-sign him. But the, again, I have no idea how he played through his injury, I have no idea how his agent let him do that, and hoof. Beth? I, I just feel like if they get anybody in on the blue line, I, I'm just, I think they contend next year i mean maybe a sort of accidental contending yeah i think they could be a playoff team for sure um i think if they get adam fox and one other solid move on the blue line 100 percent, i could see them making the playoffs uh i don't think they're gonna do damage but you know if this year's playoff showed us anything it's that literally anything can happen i think that's a perfect transition into the fact that literally anything happened mike i don't remember did Columbus win when we recorded last time? Were they playing? Where where are we here? What happened? How the hell am I supposed to know that? Uh, Because you were on the show with me. So why don't you know it? Well, why don't you know it? You got a pretty mouth. Anyone ever Uh, tell you that? All right. So we assume. All right. The Tampa Bay Lightning got swept. Um, actually, we had to have known that because we talked about Yeiserman turning the Rangers down. Uh, idiot. So, Why do you yes. say Yeiserman? Yeiserman. Yeiserman, Yeiserman. It starts with a Y. You know I'm terrible with names and other things. I know. I'm, things. I'm trying to make it better. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to bully you. You know I love you. How is this making it better out of curiosity? How is you telling the 550 million people who listen to this episode <laughs> a week how because stupid Joe- I am better? I care about you so much that when we do the show, I just think it's you and me in the room. And this time around, Beth just happens to be there also giving me these furtive looks where we're concerned about you. There are literally billions of people who listen to this podcast on a daily basis. Billions? Billions. Mm. I insist on pronouncing Vezina wrong. See? I'm still doing it wrong. It looks like like Vezina and it should be Vezina. Yes. Vezina. Yeah, I don't... Listen... Somebody left a negative review on iTunes because I didn't pronounce Tyler Sagan's name right. 
Well, so you're hurting the show. You're literally hurting our show. There you go. That's what you get. It is what it is. Uh, okay, playoffs. The Rangers not in the playoffs. Uh, Columbus destroyed Tampa Bay. They're tied 1-1 with Boston. Uh, Winnipeg, by the way, so we talked about that pick a little bit. Because yeah. Carolina won, now that pick, re- I think Adam wrote that uh, there's a model, like a playoff model. The Rangers have a 96% chance of that pick being a sub-20 pick. So automatically the value there just kind of explodes for the New York Rangers. Um Dallas is playing the Blues. Mike has some strange allegiances there. Uh, he'll tell you that he's rooting for the Blues, but deep down he's rooting for Zuccarello. Of course he's rooting for Zuccarello. He has to. How could you not root for Zuccarello? Um, Beth, how did you know what was going to happen in the first round, and why have you not given us lottery ticket numbers? Oh, well, why didn't I give myself lottery ticket numbers? That's is really another fantastic question. question. I don't know. I think I, I think I just ended the, the season in a sort of fit of spite. And my picks reflected that. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I ever could have envisioned sweeps, even if I thought there were going to be upsets. Um, I don't know. I just didn't think Tampa was going to do it. I just thought they were. I don't know. Just something wasn't clicking there either. That or I'm just too used to looking at McDonough and Girardi together or something. But it's. I just had a feeling that wasn't going to work. I just. The, that ship just wasn't going to sail all the way through. There was just too much fun stuff happening. As soon as you saw Columbus and just how badly they wanted it, it just it started to look obvious in a weird way, even though it wasn't. And I mean, I was worried about I was worried about the wear and tear if they could keep that up if it went seven games, but it didn't. And yeah, crazy I just serious, yeah. So crazy, but also then to do that and then get a rest. Um for the Islanders too. I mean, just nobody saw that coming. I just and I I couldn't I have no idea what's going to happen now. It's just so much fun to watch cuz it's just mayhem. Although I was thinking, do you feel when we were talking about the injuries before, there seems to be a lot, either there's a lot more injuries, so I'm just noticing it more, or there seems to be a lot more focus on what the teams are doing to the players who do get injured, like in terms of concussion protocols and x-rays and coming back. I mean, I think I'm thinking of the Canes, because they've got, what, like five people down now? Six? Yeah, I think they're calling people up from the AHL. I mean, I'm yeah, going to be completely Predators honest. at the end of their their series with uh with Dallas. I mean, they had Boyle and Wayne Simmons out two of their deadline acquisitions like Yeah, that's a kick in the like nuts guys, right there. There's a lot of injuries. Yeah, in terms of I think I don't I'd be surprised Beth if like if we look at the numbers and if there's not more injuries just based on what stage of the playoffs we're in. Like it's a different story if we're in the like conference finals, right? But Yeah. It feels like it just it's rampant. Like every team is dealing with something. Every team has a couple guys out, or like the number of guys like wearing like you know the full metal face shields and like the with like busted jaws and stuff. It just is like it goes on and on. And it just, just feels uh, like there's a lot more scrutiny a, of yeah, those injuries. Yeah, that's what I think it might be. Is we take the concussion stuff so seriously now that if there's not a concussion protocol, everyone's watching these games. It's the playoffs. So anything that's even remotely close to concussion protocol, we're seeing it happen. Yeah, we're also hearing about it 
in between yeah, yeah, yeah. periods and in the discussion afterwards and what happened and what did it look like and here was the replay and what do we think it is and how do we think they'll approach it um i'm not going to go accountability definitely seems like too strong a word this is still the nhl um but there the does at least seem to be some no sort of awareness between head trauma and cte so that's always wonderful um I think it's actually, it, it speaks volumes, especially from the head injury standpoint that we've even reached this point because this is completely fan-driven. Um, like the, just the awareness of it, guys like Dan Carcillo who are kind of making it their role in life to make sure that people are aware of this stuff um, because Bettman is not taking a, a an aggressive move toward ensuring that you know this stuff doesn't happen and the other thing and this does make it more complicated is ultimately the players association is responsible for some of this because if they want if they want the nhl to get tougher on head injuries and making sure that you know these things are dealt with properly and that there's more of a uh, an offensive attack from the department of player safety that comes from the players too that's negotiating the collective bargaining agreement and maybe we do see that when the next lockout inevitably happens and they kind of come to the table with something like that, but they'd have to ask for it, and they have not to this point. Um, I haven't watched a ton of the playoffs, to be completely honest. Uh, I actually don't think I've watched a full game of anything. Um, but I'm, I, I have seen just maybe this more sensitivity is maybe the word to use when it comes to just the injury status in general. And Bettman's had to answer questions about it. And as gambling gets legalized for the sport, I think there's going to be even more questions around that. So... Somebody's got to figure it out somewhere. I'd rather have the NHL that goes through these growing pains and is trying to get towards taking head injuries and really all injuries more seriously and have, you know, some people who want their hockey players to act like they're gladiators roll their eyes when guys are forcibly taken, you know, into the locker room so they go through concussion protocol. I'd rather we do this than have guys make mistakes in like doing smelling salts after they have a concussion and forcing themselves to play and doing irreparable damage to themselves give me this over that any day yeah and this is ultimately the direction that we have to go in to save the game because football uh i mean it's it's incredible how little foresight i guess i want to say some of these people have where oh we'll just make our money right now and eventually when it changes we'll be rich and it won't matter that's not the way that this works. You know what I mean? There, there are actual human lives at stake here, and Michael Sauer is a name that we're all all too familiar with. Who, oh, God. I mean, as of last reports, like still isn't living a normal life. You saw what Mark Savard went through. There's just so much. Again, and these are only two people that we're aware of. Um, yeah, two people just a, tied to the Rangers, the Rangers and so Oposo. I mean, again, somebody who like Pat Lafontaine and like the, the Eric Lindros and all this on, stuff. Eric so yeah, Lindros. this is definitely. It's for for the best, 100%. And that warrior mentality, and Mike and I have said this too, where, listen, if you want to play through a broken foot, fine. Play through a broken foot. I don't I don't give a shit. If you want to play through a torn a ACL, story. play yeah. through a torn ACL. I don't care if you want to play through like a lacerated spleen the way that Avery did if you want to, so long as you go to the hospital right I after. would advise against it. I would advise against it too. But anything that has to do with the head, yes, there should be a, a mandatory because you're not talking about somebody's like tomorrow where McDonough has to walk around in a boot all summer. You're talking about somebody who, like, doesn't recognize their children, and that's a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, that just makes me... They really 
treated Nash's retirement really tried, it seemed almost as much as they can to min- could to minimize the concussion element of it once the initial announcement was made um, that, you know, he was making this decision for his health and for his family. Um, I don't know if you noticed, I mean, obviously Nash is, was one of my favorite players, so I was following this really closely. They really didn't get into detail about it. Not that it was anyone's business, but I also felt that there was kind of an effort to be like, well, let's not think too much about that part. Let's not think too much about the I fact that, that there's way. a star of the game, you know, who's literally saying, I can't hurt my head again, or it will ruin my life. Um you know, to give him the the send-off in Columbus and the send-off in New York and to just be so quiet about the reason he was doing it um, was some pretty amazing PR on that, on their part. Um, And obviously, you know, Nash agreed to go along with it to some extent. Um, It'll be interesting to see if that lasts um of course i certainly would never hope in a million years that he got worse ever um but again it just makes you wonder if you're going to see more people making those kinds of choices uh down the line when their careers just for in other respects don't seem like they're ready to be over yet and it's funny because a lot of them don't like i think a lot of people look at rick nash's decision and they don't understand it because a lot of these guys, you know, you have to rip the jersey off me to get me to stop playing. But he chose his family. He made more money than he needed. He chose his family. That's ultimately what it comes down to. He's choosing his life over the, you know, waning stages of his hockey career. Yeah, Michael, but meanwhile, meanwhile in Boston, we saw David Backes. He's had multiple head injuries, multiple concussions. And he essentially had a talk with, you know, the brass in Boston. And, like, the way he stays in that lineup is if he fights and if he plays a physical game even though he knows that he's jeopardizing his health and it's just this like we still live in an era where there's there are those guys those guys who have that like warrior mentality that supersedes self-preservation and that is just this really ugly problem i think that we have both in hockey and football and uh in many ways i feel like hockey is is playing catch up to football i mean the like the sport, the science we have on these brain injuries is still developing. Like, and I feel like people think that because it's developing, it's unreliable. I don't think that's the case. I think it, we're just finding more and more evidence that points in the same direction that we need to take these things more seriously. Like, it's it's not. I don't think it's a radical idea to say we need a league where there's just no head contact. Like, any head contact is a, like a suspendable offense. I don't think that's a terrible thing for hockey. I think that's a measure we can take to further safeguard players and, and but, in so doing, protect the game. But again, this comes back to my original point. That doesn't happen from Gary Bettman. That happens from the, the NHLPA. I and agree. to yeah. this point, they're not willing to do so. I'm sure there yeah. are people internally that are willing to do so. But this... They're as much probably as- the minority right now, which is really frustrating, but also... I don't think players, especially in during their careers, will always act in their own self-interest. When yeah, they almost won't. Because they almost guarantee they won't. Yeah, they want contracts. They want job security. They want to. They know if you know, they play through injuries and stuff. They're proving something, and it's you under like it's very easy to understand that perspective. But it's also 
understanding that perspective with the you know the the wisdom we're gaining about head trauma it just one of these things is important one of them is not like you know having guys you know have degenerative brain diseases have like symptoms similar to early alzheimer's in their 40s and 50s is just it's crazy and it keeps happening and i think it's time for that shift to happen but like you said joe it doesn't happen unless it really is a movement within the players and that means the pa and that means the pa doing things like acting in the best interests of its players i mean the fans and the media can't hurt either just you know clayton proclaiming constantly this is still our game we'll still love it we'll still watch it this is not why a lot of us are here anymore to watch you kill it each other um yeah absolutely. you know you're not gonna lose what's best about the game we are still gonna be here we don't want to see you you know like you said with alzheimer's symptoms at 40 or whatever so you know the right-minded media and the fans just have to also keep up the pressure i think keep it visible and keep it loud um to say the things that we know in just in hockey culture players can't i'll end on this note um when the new york times did that whole uh well i guess expose if you will on the derek bugard situation where they like talked to his family and they went back through his life and whatnot there was this very striking moment where bugard's father is saying he's telling a story about how like he saw his son after the game and um you know he asked him if he wanted to go to eat and the dad got like taco bell i think he got like four whatever four tacos and a coke or whatever and it was six dollars and bugard got like this hotel steak it was a very small steak and um a coke and it was like 120 dollars and he was so alarmed. He was like, what are you doing? Like, you're spending so much money. He's like, dad, it's the culture. Like, this is just what it is. And food has nothing to do with head injuries, obviously. But it all comes back to the same thing where it's ingrained in these guys' heads to think this way. I have to play through an injury. I have to be tough. I have to get back out there. I can't miss another shift. You know, stitch me up right now and put me out there and let's see what happens. And we are starting to get a little bit more of the Rick Nash situations where you're dealing with somebody who's making a decision about his life. I want to play. I can't keep playing. Because I don't know if I'll remember what my children look like at 40 years old. And that's an insane thing to think about. So, yeah, it has to come It from... also shows a different type of toughness that we need to celebrate, in my opinion. That is yeah, sure, 100%. Yeah, he he should absolutely can. be celebrated for and making And we need decision. to talk about Rick Nash as a superb hockey player who played his ass off for... You know, the three organizations he was a part of, especially in his years in Columbus and his years in New York. And I feel like it would do a lot of good to talk about him as a guy who made a really tough decision, but he made the right decision for him and his family. And that's something to celebrate. It's awful that his career ended the way it did. But we need to celebrate that choice because that's a healthy choice, right? That's that's the sort of choice we hope to see from our athletes. Go ahead, Beth. I mean, he made that choice, but... We also know that he made that choice in a way that went against the prevailing NHL outlook. Um, He made a choice that said what they are saying about concussions is wrong. Um, I'm not going to come right out and say that, but I'm going to do something that shows that the the track they try to keep us on and their continued denial of... The results of CTE in the longer term, um, Nash came about as close as you could to saying, you know what, I know that's not true. 
I'm going to go with what literally everybody else in the world, including science and the medical profession, is saying. Um, Because I'm sure that logic could have easily been turned around by a guy who, you know, maybe wasn't as tied to his family, God forbid, had an alcohol or a drug problem on top of it, you know? I mean, that just so easily could have gone the other way for a guy who, forgive the expression, you know, didn't have as good a head on his shoulders. Um, Yeah. And it really is, I think, about as close as you can get to a rebuttal to what the NHL is still, you know, kind of hoping nobody picks up on. Um, and, you know, one can, only, one can only hope that even by quiet example and not being revolutionary, not being loud, he's not being Carcillo, that's for sure. He's still, you know, definitely in his good hockey mode, man. Uh, hockey man mode sorry um but hopefully it's a mode that's also saying that it's okay for guys younger than him um you know less rich than him as you point out it does help if you have millions of dollars in the bank to make that choice um but hopefully he just makes that choice okay too yeah celebrate rick nash celebrate people like rick nash you know what else we're gonna do we're gonna be celebrating patrons and we have two new ones and both of you have names that uh, I am likely going to butcher. So, Stanley, Stanley, enough! The baby is sleeping, and I will kill him if he wakes her up. Don't kill Stanley. Um, Adam Nowick? Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, here's the other one. Alex Nemzubalev? That is an awesome name. Um, Armael Kistner, Andre Chicagoff, Andy from... It goes too long. New Jersey. I should remember that because we did that last time. Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Bob Cowa, Chris Habibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Craig Lochlin? Lochlin? I'm sorry, Craig. Um, Dan Carosi, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, 50, Igor Zatlovsky, James Dangles, John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Guy from Montana, Michael Silvers, Michael Offit, Panero in 2020, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Robert, Thomas Olsen, Trevor Kempner. Thank you all for donating. You guys are better than the other people who listen and don't donate. Thank you for all of our new patrons. Uh, please go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a five-star rating and a nice comment because that guy said that we don't know how to say names. Um, and, did he say we or did he say you, Joe? Uh, I believe he said they. Mm. So, mm. yeah. It was the singular yourself, they. It meant Joe. Uh, Beth, did you yeah. have a final comment? No? No, I'm good. Oh, you hit, you hit the hand raise button. I'm sorry. Um, I, I got all excited. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening and we will see you Wednesday and then again next week because that's what we do. Bye-bye. Bye.